Welcome to CII Radio. In this episode, we're talking about the senior managers and certification regime. For our second podcast, we are discussing the senior managers certificate regime, and we'll be welcoming uh, Matthew Connell, who's our Director of uh, Policy and Public Relations at CII, and Tali Shomo is the People Engagement Director. Uh, Matthew, first of all, can you tell us exactly what CMRC is all about? Yeah, well, at a very basic level, it's about improving trust in financial services. So we know we've had uh, a lot of issues in the past, particularly the the banking crisis. And one theme that you hear about, not just from people involved in regulation and financial services, but but amongst the public as a whole, is a question of whether whether people are really accountable. Um, and and the problem that, that that comes through is this this sense that when something goes wrong, people at the top of an organisation can say well, if I'd known that was happening, I'd have done something about it, but I had no idea, so I, so I couldn't do anything about it. And this is what um, the, the accountability regime is, is, is all about. It's about making sure that people have enough control over their organisation, enough knowledge about what's, what's happening, um, that they're responsible, um, not just if they do something wrong, but also if something went wrong uh, and they, they didn't have an idea of what was happening, they didn't have proper oversight of what, what was happening. So that's 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 the really important core of the of the accountability regime, but it's also about improving standards of behaviour right throughout a firm, and so it puts in uh, the the regime puts into to practice uh, a code of conduct for for all employees, and that's really centred around integrity and and competence, and so making sure that uh, not only is responsibility centred at, at the top of the regime but also that on a day-to-day level, people are trained and encouraged to, to behave in an ethical way on a, on a day-to-day basis. And you mentioned the global banking crisis there. So thinking back to then, this regime mm. wasn't in place. How did the UK's response to senior leadership failures, for example, differ to those from other countries? I mean, I think across across the globe, there was a sense that regulators had, had lost a grip on, on, on accountability. Um, I think in the in the UK there were very few individuals who were uh, who were who were made accountable and 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 who were dealt with on an individual basis. It was much more a case of of, of firms as a whole um, being being fined, and and there was a parliamentary commission set up to to look into it and to see whether um, the balance between um, punishing firms and punishing individuals had had been got right and. That parliamentary commission actually said there was there was the, the problem was what it called the Orient Express defence. So people said, you know, it wasn't me; it was everyone. I, no, no one person ever made a decision. It was always the decision was made collectively. So there was no one person that could be identified as the person who was who was who was actually responsible. And so a lot of the the senior management regime is is designed to get get a reporting structure in place that actually identifies each individual person uh, who who's who's responsible for making those those big big decisions so every firm has to identify the the ceo and the directors who are who are responsible for making key decisions um, and then each one has a set of responsibilities um, that they have to that they have to take on and then that has to be reported back to the to the regulator um, but but more importantly than that is is for, for managers of firms and people working within firms uh, to get the right culture and the right behaviours in, in place because otherwise it just ends up being a, a big paper exercise recording lots of responsibilities that don't really have any meaning in real life. 
So how will this be policed? I mean, who's going to make sure that people follow these new rules? Yeah, so it's 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 right the way right right the way through the through the system. So the FCA obviously is gonna gonna make sure that firms obey the rules and, and have the right records in place. Um, but there's a huge responsibility on firms themselves to police things. So for example, there's um firms have to make sure that that their employees um are fit and proper, so they have to make sure that that senior managers coming in have a have a have a good record uh, and have to ask previous employees uh, establish that with with previous employees they have to check criminal records they have to give references for for employees that are that are leaving so so there's a huge responsibility on firms to to monitor and and make decisions about fitness and properness of of individuals and to do the right kind of training to make people aware of their their responsibilities under the codes under under the conduct rules for individuals and this provides a great opportunity for hr to start working more closely with the business because if if we're talking about behaviors conduct then how do we take that common thread for everything that we do in the workplace so we again it's talking about processes looking at how do we um change behaviors how do we uh, utilize uh, appraisals as an example how do we identify the skills and capability um, not only to upskill but to monitor how do we address any gaps and really also about the references because that's the core area that's going to be required to regulate your references for approved persons and when you're requesting references it's you know taking the span of six years is how do we do that in a not only a constructive way, but also one that's quite positive. So what are the core areas that we as HR professionals need to start thinking about and working with the business leaders? And are there any penalties if you don't follow the rules? Yes, there are penalties for, for, for individuals. So so they individuals can be fined and they, they can be excluded from the industry from the industry and under the under the new rules um, that have what the FCA calls this new duty of responsibility um, those punishments can 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 be applied to individuals uh, who don't take reasonable steps um, to make sure that bad things don't happen uh, as well as as well as senior managers who who actively do the wrong thing so these punishments are there for for people who who don't don't do the right thing so it's there for a lack of competence as well as for sort of willful wrongdoing so they are pretty pretty severe yeah so this could be career changing if this isn't right. yeah yeah absolutely and lots of sleepless nights at the moment for bankers and senior insurance chiefs do you think or, or, or people generally accepting this this regime had to change there had to be more accountability for senior people yeah i think i think if you take a very legalistic view of it and 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 look at the punishments and and think what do i have to do to absolutely 100% avoid uh, any possibility of, of of falling the wrong side of the regime then then it can create a very negative very very fearful sort of um atmosphere but i think those people who who are who are best prepared for the regime maybe people are ones that take a more a more confident approach who say well actually my colleagues and i actually sit down and, and think about how the firm is 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 run what kind of business model we have how sustainable it is how it that delivers value for the for the customer and we know exactly what the what direction that the business is is going in um the, the people who work for us understand uh, what direction we're we're going in so if anything does go wrong um it, it doesn't expose something that's fundamentally wrong with the business it, it's something that we 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 can put right because we know we're, we want to be headed in the right direction and i think what I would add to that is it's about having a plan. 
it's having a plan not only at strategic level but operationally so again it's the business leaders working with the compliance team it's working with the hr team it's working with their legal team it's having a plan that's robust and fit for purpose that can be adapted um, throughout the life cycle yeah and i think i think just just to add to that, yeah, it's, it's where 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 the regulator has stepped in and and taken action against firms that the the firms that 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 were heading in the right direction and, and and looking for problems and looking to deal with problems, they weren't always getting everything right. They they did get things wrong and the regulators found things that that needed fixing, but the regulator didn't take action against them because it could see that the basic culture was right and if problems did did exist that they would be dealt with eventually. It's the firms that are set up in such a way that the problems are never going to be addressed. They're never going to be recognised. They're the ones that, uh, that the regulator is going to, going to take, take action against. And you mentioned the word culture there. So how much of this regime is about the rules and the regulations? And how much is it about culture and behaviours within the company? Tally, maybe you could say that. I, I think the rules and the regulation is driving the culture. It's driving the focus to start to talk about culture and behaviours and the importance and the value as to any business. So when we talk about culture and behaviours, there are practical tips that you as HR professionals can consider and work with the business leaders as well. So questions that we can all ask ourselves is, how can we implement uh, appraisals that focus on behaviours and culture? How can we, to what extent should we integrate uh, conduct and behaviours in our training programmes and plans? And how do we communicate all of this to the managers? Because let's look at it as an opportunity. Let's look at it as an opportunity that we can be inclusive in our approach. Let's look at it that we can be, um, it's an opportunity to adapt our behaviours so that we can continue to attract uh, millennials and talent and retain them. Because again, the new talent coming in are looking for something very different. So this is really an opportunity. You know, many firms have objectives um, as part of their appraisals. Well, do we link it to behaviours? And if so, what is that behaviour? And then how do we link it to the purpose of the organisation? And that comes back to the strategic objectives of the organisation. Absolutely. I, th- I think that, you know, the, all, all, most of the rules probably 90% of the rules are just there to make sure that firms are, are cataloging properly and, and reporting properly what, what, what they're doing but the actual principles and the, and the spirit of the rules are very much around how the, how the firms run sustainably for the long term in the interests of customers and that's much more around how you run the business day to day than ticking off one rule after another. I mean how many rules are there? How overwhelming can this seem to businesses? Yeah well I mean the consultation papers alone there were, there were two different consultation papers and they both run to over over 100 pages uh, so so the the rules are are very long and involved and and it's partly because it applies to so many different types of firms so it has to be very clear about defining which, which type of firm fits into 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 which category so when the FCA released the rules they did apologize about the the length of the rule book but they did stress that 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 was there mainly to make sure that that for example that they had different approaches for for large firms and, and small firms because it would be crazy to have the same set of rules for a, for a gigantic gigantic bank than it than for a, a one-person operation so part of the reason why the rules are so long is that there's it's this it's the same basic approach being applied to, to lots and lots of different types of firms in a, in a slightly different way but what the fcas again said is what what, what they think of is not it's not going to be a huge difference in terms of the way companies organize themselves or, or, or the formal governance of a company um, but they do see it as a really big opportunity for companies to go back and ask themselves you know, why are we set up in this way? Why are we running this way? 
what does that mean for for customers and and, and really make meaningful changes on on, on that basis so and it's, a, it's a great opportunity so it's a great opportunity for the hr professionals to work more closely with the business leaders because what better time to start to enable business decisions through hr processes what better time for hr professionals to work with the business on competencies and the controls that we can put in place through our processes so we've talked about appraisals we've touched on references we've talked about training and training is such a vital component of this and it's not training for the sake of training it's a training that's either regulated or where we're talking about unregulated training what does that look like and how do we monitor and how do we communicate it in a very opportunistic way? And you mentioned earlier about this appraisal system going back six years. Will that apply to just senior leaders who are joining the firm or will it apply to everybody? Yeah, so references is for senior approved people and it will go back for, sec- for six years. And I think as an HR professional, the first question I've always had is how much information should I give? Do I need to make it really complex? I always see things as keep it as simple and effective as possible whilst meeting the regulation, whilst meeting the needs of the the, the requirements. And what we, you know, our view at the CII, it's really about, first of all, fo- focusing on what's on the formal disciplinary record. And it is on the six, you know, looking at the past six years. So if someone's had a gap in their, in their uh, CV in six years, question that. Have a look at it, delve in, um, ask a few questions. You know, they may have been on benefits, they may have not been working, they may have been traveling. Explore that and document it and have the evidence to support those gaps. Engage with your senior managers so they appreciate the process when seeking references for the last six years. Talk with candidates that come in as approved people um, and those who are currently in the approved roles and what that means in terms of the process so they'll understand the regulation because they would have had all the information but what does the reality mean how are we as hr enablers keeping it simple whilst meeting the requirements what about somebody stepping up from an approved person's role into a senior leadership role once his certification comes into into play is that a more complex process post-certification yeah i think for a lot of people it, it, it won't it won't be a huge difference um i think with under the fca's old regime the approved persons population was was pretty big because it included um advisors and now that's being split so there's there's senior managers who take the full responsibilities and 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 are in line for 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 all the all the fines and all the things that we've we've talked about um and then there's certified individuals who are still still subject to the to the regulatory references so so they'll still be tracked through through financial services system but those those certified individuals will have less contact with the with the regulator they, they won't be need to be pre-approved or anything like that but nevertheless they'll still feel the, the, the weight of the of the regime on them because they'll need to keep a clean reference for, for when they move around uh, the industry. Um, for the for the senior managers, I think the the big difference uh, is this change in expectations around about making sure that they do the things that that can reasonably be expected of them, as well as just not not being involved in in wrongdoing. So senior managers, there's going to be a difference in terms of um, their conduct and and making sure that they have complete control over the area that they're managing. For advisors who are approved persons, they're still still going to feel the presence of the regime in terms of the the regulatory references and having to make sure they they, they keep their references clean. So for for a large business that's perhaps quite a complex business do you think that's going to mean more lines of communication needed so senior managers become aware of everything that's happening beneath them yeah i I think i think um 
I think that that's certainly going to be that push for, for senior managers to understand what's going on. But I think beyond that, once you know you can't have a senior manager um, sitting over everyone's shoulder, um, reading every single report. So I think once people realise that, that control and command only gets you so far, then they'll move on to thinking about how, well, how can I build an ethical culture that means um, that, that even if I'm not overseeing something, that, that I'm confident that I've put the culture in place that, that means that, that the right thing is going to happen. And then that goes back to, 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 you know, kind of really the basics of the business, how the business is planned, how people are incentivized, what kind of example is set, um, and, and, and the kind of training and development of people to, to, to make good decisions on their own. Um, I mean, I was wondering how long you both thought it would realistically take to become business as usual. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a funny one because in, in a sense, for, for well-run firms, it will be business as, as usual already and it will just be a case of changing the way they report to the regulator and changing the way they describe themselves to the to the regulator a little bit, maybe changing job descriptions and, and processes around uh, around things like, like references. But for firms that maybe have got a more short-term focus, who, who don't have such a, a long-term focus, who, who are just having a more hand-to-mouth existence and maybe cutting some corners, it's, it's not just a case of ticking off some rules and, and, and filling out some forms. It's, it's a case of really fundamentally questioning their the way the way their business is set up and 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 what kind of value they they deliver to customers so that that's something that 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 can take years to get right and i think like anything else that you do the first time you do it it's quite challenging takes a bit longer second time you do it slightly more simpler and easier and you feel more comfortable with it so looking at processes the first time will be a bit more challenging and as we go through each step and as managers and controls are in place then we start to really discuss behaviors because it's coming back to the conduct and behaviors in the culture and when we look at um, the one the controls that are in place that enable behaviors to be open and transparent then we can see, start to see some results. And then uh, in terms of deadlines, when's this coming into force? So this comes in at the end of 2018 and the regulators have gone through the first round of, of consultation and they're going to come back with, with policy statements and a, and a firmer timetable in, in, in 2018. Um, but the, the expectation is that it's, it's all done by, by 2018. So um, what would you can obviously be a bit overwhelming. So what would be the, the mm. first steps or the next steps you would recommend now for people? Yeah, and I think I think the first thing piece of advice is to avoid the temptation to just dive in and and put everyone in a box and 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 match up the different categories and the different prescribed responsibilities to individuals. Take a step back and ask how is the business structured? What is the business model? Um, how do we deliver value to to customers? Um, how do we find out if anything's going wrong? How do we how open are we to to, to any to any bad news and how do we train our staff how do we incentivize our staff those are the kind of things that i think are really useful to be to be thinking of now and then and then once that's clear in people's minds um they can can go through and say well what what kind of firm am i most firms will be core firms under the under the regime and the fca has been very careful to make the rules for core firms um proportionate so so there isn't a huge amount there's there's only a handful of people who are going to be senior managers in those in those core firms and then um, only qualified advisors who are going to be um, certified individuals so once people have have got the 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 basics right 
in terms of uh, looking through the consultation and applying the different categories to their firms, particularly if it's a small firm, it should be a fairly fairly straightforward exercise. And then as 2018 goes on, it's just a case of being able to, to put all that all those processes and all that information uh, together and all those um, things like the regulatory references, all those processes together. So in in terms of cataloguing stuff um, and and getting the right people in the right boxes, that should be a a fairly quick and straightforward process provided you've done that that thinking in advance. It's it's probably that thinking that you can do now that's, that's the bigger challenge. And we've got lots of information on the website and the guidance hub um, guiding you step by step not only what it means from a regulatory perspective, but areas you should start considering and questions to ask yourselves with the business leaders. Fantastic. We'll put a link in the show notes to that resource on the website so people can find it nice and easily. Thank you both so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. So that was episode two of CII Radio. We hope you enjoyed listening to this second episode in our series. Let us know what you think on Twitter at CII Group or email me at michelle.warvel at cii.co.uk. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.